So I've told a story about me uh, embarrassing my mother-in-law, but um, something that happened to me as well quite a few years ago that's just probably not quite as embarrassing, but stupid, absolutely stupid. I bought what I thought was a really good car. I bought, uh, well, it's perhaps the only car I've ever sort of like thought, I'd like one of them. So I bought one. Never been in that position before. Never been in that position since. <laughs> but I bought an Alfa Romeo. And they say, you've got to own an Alfa Romeo once in your life to show you that you should never buy another one. <laughs> because let me tell you, it broke down every single week. So much that I got to know the mechanics' first name terms. So much that I got to know that the mechanics love golf. And we had a golf society in our church. So I started inviting them to this golf society. And I invited them, invited them, invited them, because I went every week and tried to sort of like get them to come along to this golf thing. And then eventually I was so sick of this Alfa Romeo, I got rid of it and got a Mazda. Japanese cars just go forever. And uh, I never saw these mechanics for another year. And then when I came for the MOT, they said, where have you been? We haven't seen you for ages. I said, well, I got rid of the Alfa, didn't I? You know, we want to come on them golf days. And they still come on the golf days back in Leeds now, which is, which is great. But when I first got it, I was showing off, really. So we went to see uh, a couple in the church and uh, good friends with them. And uh, as lads, we went out for a bit of a drive, but it needed some, needed some fuel in it. And it was a diesel car. And we called into the petrol station, and there's green pumps and there's black pumps, isn't there? And stupidly, I'm talking away to my mate, and I picks up the petrol and puts petrol in the diesel car. And boy, did I know about it. It was like the roughest, clunkiest sounding car ever. And you don't get anywhere if you put the wrong fuel in your car. You don't get anywhere. And really what I want to say right at the very beginning today is if you don't put the right stuff in, you don't get anywhere. If you don't put the right stuff in your life, you tend to cough and splutter and chug along and you don't run as well as what you should. And if you leave Jesus out of your life, you're obviously not going to put the right stuff in your life. People put all kinds of stuff in their lives except Jesus. And yet I would say he's the most important. He's the most important person in your life. Why would you leave him out? Why would you leave him out? So the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, very, very famous story. And uh, verse 1 up to verse 10 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, <laughs> he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And that last line is quite powerful. In, in another version, it says, And I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and save those like him who are lost. Lost. What does Jesus mean when he describes someone as lost? You might know the story in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son and how the father in the story describes him as someone who was lost but now I found him. Dead, but now he's alive. And in biblical terms, to be spiritually lost is to be utterly lost. It doesn't see any other way of being lost so crucially than spiritually lost. Do you know, I guess we've all been geographically lost at some stage, and it's a bit disconcerting. When you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going, you keep driving and you're thinking, I'll recognize something soon, and it tends to go on forever. I once did that in, uh, in America, just outside Chicago. I just drove for miles and miles and miles, and it was just flat plain. And I was scared because I had no idea where I was going. To be intellectually lost, well, that's a bit embarrassing. I've got a friend who's a Church of England minister, and he's academic in every way. He reads the theological books. He's an English guy. He reads theological books, but he reads the German theological books. So he reads them in German, and he understands them. And he phones me up. And uh, I'm on the phone to him for probably an hour sometimes. And when I come off the phone, Lisa says to me, I don't know how you do it. So I says, what do you mean? So she goes, well, how you can speak to him for, for an hour? I says, well, what do you mean? She says, well, he's really brainy. She's got the gift of encouragement, my wife. So to be intellectually lost sometimes is a bit embarrassing. To be financially lost is difficult. It's difficult. But to be spiritually lost is catastrophic. Catastrophic. God's heart yearns for the spiritually lost. God made every single one of us. He created every single one of us. If you create something, if you put time and effort and love into whatever you're making and you lose it, you, you feel that. You feel that. Or if you put time and effort into someone and they walk away from you, that hurts. That hurts. Spirit, to be spiritually lost is catastrophic. In many ways, Zacchaeus had made it. He was rich. He had a top job. He was wealthy. He was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business. And yet Jesus described him as lost. Or to be completely accurate, has been lost. How many of us know that we can seem to have everything in the world. 
and yet feel so unsatisfied. Like a, an emptiness inside. Statistics tell us that the suicide rate in the richest part of the world, in all the countries that would class themselves as rich and wealthy, is higher than the suicide rate in the poorest countries of the world. That's, that's significant. And here was Zacchaeus, a man of wealth, having a comfortable life, but here he was lost from God, collecting wealth, but lost from God, and yet he wanted to see Jesus. Verse 3 says, he tried to get a look at Jesus. He was curious to see Jesus. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with being curious about Jesus. It's good to be curious about Jesus. I think Jesus wants us to be curious about him. Every single one of us, he would want us to look into who he is. He would want us to investigate who he is and why he came. Is he real? That's what the Alpha Course is so brilliant at because it's non-judgmental. It's something that anybody can, can join. Nobody has to be a Christian by the end of it or anything like that. You can, you can walk away, but it gives you 10 weeks of opportunity to look into Jesus. And we've got Alpha starting in the, in the spring, and I would really, really encourage you to look into it. In fact, all the Alpha videos are online now anyway. Just search for them on, on YouTube and begin to watch them. But watch them, but I would say also, book onto Alpha when we get the sign-up sheet ready. We haven't got it ready yet. But when you, when you get the opportunity, and come and discuss, because it will raise so many questions in you. Why would you not look into Jesus? Why would you not look into Jesus? To be curious about him is good. And Zacchaeus was curious about Jesus, but he found physical obstacles. Okay, his stature was a physical obstacle. I know a bit about that. He couldn't see, he wasn't big enough. But also, the crowd was a physical obstacle. He couldn't see through them or over them. But the Bible says it's not really the physical obstacles that are our problem. It's the internal obstacles that are our problem. We've all got three internal obstacles about uh, coming to know Jesus for who he is. And the Bible says that's pride, other gods, and other priorities. Pride is a major obstacle. Psalm 14 says this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's a lot of people in this world that have made their mind up, there is no God. They would call themselves atheists. They would call themselves humanists. And they're very tough people to communicate to because they, they just rule it out. But I wonder how many atheists have looked into God, have really looked into God. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people being put off Jesus and God by silliness by silly judgmental people who have judged people or said something really cutting. And I understand that because we're all human. We all make mistakes. But maybe you're an atheist this morning because you're, maybe you're an intellectual atheist. Who knows? But let me, I hope this is not patronizing, but I hope this helps you. It certainly helps some guys in my cricket team. If I draw a circle, as best I can, and... Um, I'll find somebody who's really intellectual. 
Who's really intellectual? Ben Ehrling's really intellectual. Ben, just come out here, mate. Let's give him a from Bible College. Bless him. Right, Ben, with that red pen, I want you to imagine that within this circle is all the knowledge, all the learning, all the education, all the experience that there ever can be in the world, right? Put a, put a dot or a ring, depending on how big-headed you are, within that circle that amounts to how much knowledge, experience, and, and uh, education you've, you've had so far. Oof. Tell you what, I'd have put a smaller one than that, Ben. But anyway, that <laughs> I don't mean about you, I mean about me. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Give him a hand. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Now then, you might look at Ben and think, well, he's a young lad. He's, had, he's only had a bit of life experience. He's, he, he's only young. So let's find somebody really old. Rob Greenbank. <laughs> Come and... Come and put a circle on this board. All your experience, all your learning, Rob. You know, in, in all the... Not within that circle, within this circle. That's Ben's experience. Oh, okay. Fantastic. <laughs> ben, Rob. <laughs> so as you get older, you realise you don't know... <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, you know, maybe these guys have traveled all around the world. Maybe they've learned loads of stuff. Maybe they've done degree upon degree upon degree, doctorate, all sorts of stuff. But actually what they're honestly admitting is that there's all this experience in life that they really haven't either yet experienced or will never experience and actually what we're actually doing there is actually admitting maybe maybe God's somewhere in all this you know if you're if you would call yourself an atheist this morning I hope you don't find this patronizing but what I'm saying is none of us can say we know everything none of us can say we've experienced everything we've all got a limited experience and a limited knowledge and maybe Maybe God, well, you've not experienced him yet. Maybe you've not learned about him yet. Maybe it's worth looking into and being curious about him rather than just striking him out all the time. Don't let pride get in the way by saying, there just is no God. Because if you haven't looked into it, then that's, a, that's like an ignorant position. Look into Jesus. Look into God. See if he's in the experience that you've not experienced yet. The Bible also says other gods get in the way. Our society scorns people who believe in God. Whether that's God of the Bible, God of the Quran, God of, uh, uh, of, of Hinduism. All faith you know, is, is scorned. And yet, as the recent uh, census said, you know, more people now would say they are of no faith than, than faith. But that's not to say that there isn't other gods. 
If you go to the doctors or the dentists and you start flicking through the magazines and you realize that in these lovely glossy magazines with flash houses and flash cars and super fashionable uh, things that people are wearing these days, there's plenty of gods. There's plenty of gods around. People tie themselves up in following after other things which are elevated, elevated above the true God. The true God. There's plenty, lots of gods around. But also, the Bible also says that we prioritize the wrong stuff. We get caught up in the race to acquire stuff that's in the glossy magazines or get an education, or get higher earning jobs, or get a bigger house, or something like that. And our priorities run away with us. And yet our main priority is, why don't we find out who created us? Why we're here in the first place? What he's put us on this earth for in the first place? Our priority should be, how can we get a relationship with this God who made the whole universe and created us, and sent his son to die on the cross for us, when we pursue after everything else and leave our hearts behind and don't look into who the true God is, then something inside us dies. Our spirit grows colder and colder. And sadly, we become dull, dull to it. The prodigal son, he became dull to his father. And yet, one day it says he came to his senses. He came to his senses and thought, this life is empty. This life is rubbish. I'm going to go back to my father. A few years ago, tragically in New Zealand, 99 small whales, pilot whales, got washed up on a, on a beach on the coast of New Zealand. And sadly, most of them died. People could only speculate as to why they were there or what caused them to be in that place, but one thing was clear they'd left an environment that they were made for, where they had true freedom and enjoyed life, and they'd entered an environment of death where they were going to be killed. You know, whales were made to swim in the sea, humans were made to have a relationship with God. If you haven't got a relationship with God, you're not in a place of freedom. You're not in a place when you can experience what true life is all about. You're in an environment of death. You're slowly dying. That's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I have come to seek and save those who are lost, those who are slowly, slowly dying and stopping spiritually breathing. That might be you today. You might recognize that and say, do you know what? That is me. That's where I'm at. This environment that I'm in, I've got to get out of it. I don't, I felt for a long time I'm not made for this environment. That's because you're made to have a relationship with God. Zacchaeus climbed up the tree to see Jesus. Some commentators have said that Zacchaeus was hiding from Jesus, but I'm sure that it actually doesn't say that in the text. But one thing's for sure is he couldn't. He couldn't hide from Jesus. No one can hide from God. Psalm 139 says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. We sang earlier on, don't we? He's the God of the mountains, but he's also the God of the valleys. And one of the unique characteristics of God is, in, is omniscience. He sees all 
hiding from him is impossible. And yet so many of us try to do it. We scurry around, ignoring him, thinking he's not there, believing he's not there, but actually all the time wondering, he probably is there. He might be there. I wonder if he is there. We hide our actions, we hide our motives from him. And just like Adam and Eve did, when they knew that they had sinned against him, they did the futile thing and hid from him. Don't hide. Don't hide from your father. What did God say to Adam? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? He knew where he was all the time. But what he wanted to know is, where are you spiritually, Adam? That's what God's saying to every single one of us this morning. Where are you? Where are you spiritually? Do you know me? Do you know me? Have you invited me into your life? Have you made me Lord? I'm the one who made you. Now, I can't say that Zacchaeus was hiding from Jesus, but I can say that Jesus found him. And when he found him, he called him by name. Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I need to come to your house. Jesus said the Son of Man had come to seek and to save the lost. He sought Zacchaeus and he found him. And he knew his name. If you're curious about Jesus this morning, if you're wanting a, a better view of him this morning, even if you are hiding from him this morning, he knows you. He knows everything there is about you. He knows your name. The Bible says he knows every single hair on your head. He knows every single day of your life. And this morning, he's calling you by your name. The people around couldn't cope with the fact that Jesus had called Zacchaeus and gone home to be with them. They concluded that Jesus couldn't have known what this guy was really like. But such was the compassion and grace. We sang earlier, didn't we? Wide is your love and grace. We sing wide is your love and grace, and that's the truth. But the Bible says narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. What does that mean? We're walking on a tightrope with God all the time. No, it doesn't. It means there's only one way to God. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Many, many people think they have found some kind of peace in life and some kind of way. But actually, there's only a way through Jesus Christ. But his grace is deep. His grace is, is wide. But it's only through him that you could know the Father. Such is his compassion and grace. He knew exactly who Zacchaeus was and what he was like. And yet he still called him. You're a rogue. You're a scoundrel. You're a robber. You're a cheat. But I'm coming to your house for tea. I'm so glad about that. Personally, I'm so glad about that because I've done a lot of stuff that I'm ashamed of in my life. But Jesus said, I want to come. I want to come and spend time with you. I want to come and get to know you. And he said to Zacchaeus, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. There's an urgency in Jesus' voice, in his request to Zacchaeus. Today is a much-used word in Scripture. Today, I'm coming to your house. Last week, we heard about the thief on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today is the day of salvation. 
It also says that in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. And I believe that there's that same sense of urgency in the voice of Jesus this morning. Why would you hold back from inviting someone who gave his life for you into your life, a God who created you into your life? Why would you hold back from the invitation that God has in inviting you into his life? Why, what, why would you? God can bring you so much more. Many people have heard of Jesus and yet completely disregarded looking into who he is or what he did for them. But let me tell you, Jesus died on the cross for every single one of us. Not just because of the things that we've done, but because of who we are. We're deeply selfish people. We are, we are tops if it's left up to us. In our story, Zacchaeus responded to the urgent call. He did not hesitate because it says he came quickly down from the tree. His speed reflected what was obviously going on in his heart. And as he was at home with Jesus, it quickly revealed that he wanted to change. He wanted to change the direction of his life, but he wanted to change the practice of his life. And there was an amazing change. He wanted to repent, if you like, give back all that he cheated people out of, give back more even. But one of the amazing facts is it's good to have repentance and you need repentance. Zacchaeus was showing that. But it's what came out of Zacchaeus' mouth. Look, Lord. The Bible says you can only say Lord genuinely by the Holy Spirit revealing to you the truth of who Jesus is. Zacchaeus recognized that Jesus was Lord. Recognized that there was something about him that maybe he couldn't fully understand, but he was Lord, he was God. And Jesus is looking for that in every single one of us. It's not just about mending our ways or making recompense or anything like that, although that is all part of repentance but it is also recognizing that he is Lord. He's Lord of our lives. Our lives are not our own. We shouldn't be the boss of our lives because we make a mess of it. We should give our lives to the creator, the one who knows us inside out, back to front and upside down, the one who knows us by name because he created us, the one who, even though he knows us well, sent his son to die on the cross for every single one of us. Not a single person did he say, you've done too much wrong. I can't save you. He did it for every single one of us. And he did it for you. So maybe today, maybe today, you want to give your life to Jesus. Let me invite you to bow your heads, please. Maybe today, unlike any other day, you've decided to consider Jesus. You've decided, like Zacchaeus, that your life is empty. It's full of stuff, but not the right stuff. It's not running well, like the diesel car with petrol in it. Maybe you're tired of that constant misfire that constant just this is not running well I would encourage you 
right now to reach out to God, to reach out to him. He knows you by name. And even in the most faltering of prayers, he sees your heart. He sees whether you are genuinely, genuinely searching for him. And it doesn't have to be a set prayer that people over the centuries have said. It just needs to be genuine and heartfelt. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, accept me into your life. Come into mine. I make you Lord. And just in this quietness now, I'm just going to give an opportunity for you, wherever you are, whether you're at home, online, whether you're in the building here, to just reach out to him. He's looking at you right now. You're up in that tree. And he's calling you by name. I want to come. I want to come to your house. I want to come to your heart. Reach out to him right now. Jesus, you know the hearts of every single one of us. You know our lives from the very day one right till now. You know the stuff that we are ashamed of, that we regret, the stuff that we, in your eyes, have done wrong. And you went to the cross for every single one of us. And yet, Lord, your arms are outstretched to us this morning. And you're saying today, today is the day of salvation. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, while people's heads are bowed, it would be really good if you indicated to me if that is you in your journey, just by raising your hands very short, very quickly. Is that you this morning? Just, just indicate to me that you've prayed a prayer, that you've invited Jesus into your Thank you. Is anybody else? Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. If you want to know more about Jesus, or you prayed a prayer that invites him into your life, as a, a, come, come to the front afterwards to this desk here, the info desk, and we'll give you a little pack that will help you with booklets and guidance. But when we do Alpha in the spring, please, please, investigate more look into Jesus Lord I pray pray today Lord for the people that have raised their hands Lord that have prayed that prayer Lord you know every single one of them and God I pray Lord that you would come and meet them where they are give them that assurance Lord that you have come into their lives and that even though they don't know it all Lord Lord may they know there's something changed there's something different and may they know the assurance, Lord, that they are eternally written. Their name is written in that Lamb's book of life. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.